You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Speaking of people that smile all the time, here we go back into the dark, dusty annals of history as we see now this bent-over, stoop-shouldered little man creeping along on an age-old road with a book in his hand and a quill pen in his hand, Dr. History. How many of you know I played basketball last Thursday night? And that's why I said you are stoop-shouldered and bent over <laughs> with arthritis. Here's Dr. History. Yeah, a fast break isn't really a fast break anymore. <laughs> Is it one of those where it goes in slow, slow motion? Slow. <laughs> How are you doing this morning? Not bad. How are you? Good, good. Yep. Um, I know that uh, you, as always, are so well prepared that you had your staff of 23 people working on all the hysterical, uh, pardon me, historical facts of uh, history for this morning. So share with us what we're going to converse about. All right. Today we're going to talk about an Indian uh, white man battle that took place in Utah, and it's called the Gunnison Battle. I... It was 1853... This is about the time that uh, there was a lot of Indian trouble going on down there in Utah, and Chief Walker, uh, a lot of people have heard of him, he was kind of a leading chief in that area, that, but he enlisted some of the other bands of Indians to, to kind of follow, and, you know, they were generally causing quite a bit of trouble down in there, but, you know, as we've talked before, how can you blame the Indians when the whites are coming through and killing their their uh, food supplies and stuff like that. So, yeah, but you know something, Doc? I got a little mixed feelings on this, and I know I'm taking the right-wing side on this story, but in every nation, in every country, in the progress of the world civilizations, there's always been a progressive movement ahead for the future that has stepped on somebody. Right. Yep. And, and you know, it was an, it's inevitable that it was going to happen, uh, but, you know, obviously the Indians, uh, you know, some had the vision to realize it was going to happen no matter what, and others tried to fight it, and uh, and that, that's kind of what happened. This, this is kind of a confusing thing that happened, this Gunnison battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of some victim of circumstances, if you want to call it that. Oh, really? Uh, the victim of this was a Captain John W. Gunnison. Mm-hmm. Now, this Gunnison, he's the main guy that we're going to talk about today. Um, uh, he had a party of some scientists, and he had a military escort. 
And the Indians involved uh, were called Pavants. And uh, I hadn't really heard of this group, but it's spelled P-A-H-V-A-N-T-S, Pavants. You got me on that one. I was I was thinking you were going to say Paiutes, but it was Pavants. Yeah, no, this is the uh, Pavants, and so it must have been just kind of a break-off, maybe, of the Paiutes. But hmm. they, they were led by a chief by the name of Moshe Koop. Oh, boy, here we go. Okay, so Gunnison and Moshe Koop, those are the two main guys you're going to be hearing about now. Okay, so here we are, early in 1849, uh, Lieutenant Gunnison, he first visited the Salt Lake Valley as a member of Captain Stanbury's surveying party. Now, this was the group that was trying to figure out a way, a, a route for the Transcontinental Railroad. Oh, okay. Okay, so Stansbury, he was kind of the head guy. And uh, he had looked around Salt Lake, uh, the vicinity, and all through there, and uh, and uh, you know he was exploring possible routes for the again for the railroad. Mm-hmm. Now Stansbury made his recommendations for the route, which is where it went. But Gunnison, uh, he was a captain there, and uh, he was hired to survey uh, a possible alternate route, and uh, so. He was just kind of going down through Utah and looking and surveying, and uh, and the route that he found that he thought might be good was quite a bit farther east and quite a bit farther south than where the actual railroad ended up going. Okay. So, anyway, to understand why this battle took place, we got to go back a ways. Now, the Pavance Indians, uh, they had a reason to hate the white people, but it was not Gunnison, it was not the Gunnison party. But in the summer of 1853, there was a company from Missouri on their way to California. Well, they stopped at one of the settlements, and at that time, again, the whole territory was kind of in a state of anxiety and alarm, uh, chiefly because of the Indian raids that were being led by Chief Walker. Well, the immigrants from Missouri, uh, they were pretty anxious to add to this uh, turmoil because they threatened to kill the first Indian that they saw or who came into their camp. Now, they were told that this group, the Pavance, uh, were camped uh, at a, a place called Meadow Creek, and they were also told that these guys were okay, and don't fear these Indians. They were friendly. They wouldn't do any harm, and they were advised uh, not to bother the Indians either. Now, these Missourians, they seemed determined to, to kill a few Indians on their way through Utah. That was just the attitude they had. So as soon as the immigrants had gone into camp, there were some friendly Indians. The Pavants arrived to trade, and leading the Indians was this Moshe Coop and his dad, his father. And all of a sudden, they were surrounded by the whites, who at that point attempted to take their guns and their knives and everything. And so naturally, the Indians resisted uh, what they considered, you know, uh, unwarranted act. And so one Indian pulled out an arrow and jabbed it into the chest of one white man, And the white man yanked out his revolver and started firing. Well, in the confusion that followed, Moshe Koop's father was shot and killed. Uh, Two other Indians were killed and three wounded, and none of the whites were injured or or hurt other than the guy that got an arrow in his chest. Um, But, of course, the Pavants were pretty mad about this, so they went back to their camp, and they moved on to another camp, and uh, this is where Gunnison and his party actually were later killed. Well, the Indians, they plotted their revenge, and although the offending Missouri immigrants had moved on, they were on their way through and passed through Utah, but the Indians decided that, 
it didn't matter who the whites were, they would serve the purpose of revenge. So they decided they would uh, wipe out the next party that came through. Hmm. So, now, a few days later, Gunnison and his group uh, came into the area. They established a camp, and Gunnison made a trip up to Fillmore, Utah, and this is where he got some supplies and uh, learned of the killing of Moshe Coop's father by these immigrants. And Gunnison, you know, he was a friend of the Indians, and he felt bad about this and uh, remarked that the Indians would, would probably seek revenge. But anyway, he returned back to his camp and uh, with the intentions of exploring this alternate route for the, for the railroad. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, he took some of his men on kind of a reconnaissance, reconnaissance trip, I guess, if you want to call that uh, scouting. And uh, Gunnison's party was able to reach, uh, there was a lake area down there somewhere, and there was a whole bunch of geese and ducks and one thing or another. And so they thought, well, this is a good place to, you know, replenish our food supply. So they started shooting, and uh, the noise of the guns reached uh, the ears of Moshe Koop's band. No, this isn't also good. also happened to be hunting in that area. This isn't good. This is not good. So here we are. Uh, the Indians know the whites are there. The whites don't know the Indians are there. So uh, at camp that night, Gunnison and his men, they, they thought everything was fine. They they, they uh, set up camp, one thing or another. And uh, the only person that was a little suspicious was their guide, a guy by the name of William Potter. He was their guide, and he, he knew Indian tactics, and he advised the party to move to an area where they could uh, take care of themselves better or defend themselves better. But they... He was overruled, and so they bed down for the night, and uh, everybody was asleep. Uh, in the meantime, Moshe Koop and his band uh, were given detailed instructions to each warrior uh, how to go. He led them out in single file. They divided into two groups. They surrounded the party and waited for the, uh, for the sun to come up. Mm-mm. Well, they did have a few guards up, but uh, they weren't paying much attention. And uh, the Indians stayed unseen and unheard, and just before sunrise, the camp started to stir. The cook came out of his tent and started the fire and started to put the kettle on. Well, as soon as the sun appeared, uh, an Indian took uh, took aim and fired, and the cook fell dead, and immediately rifle shots, arrows, everything poured into the the camp. This isn't good. no. no, I mean, these guys are just waking up. They, you know, they don't really know what's going on. Well, Captain Gunnison, he came out of his tent uh, calling to the Indians that he was their friend. He was trying to, uh, you know, let them know that he was he was not their enemy. But uh, this didn't work, and uh, he fell uh, pierced with bullets and arrows. And so, anyway, the rest of the guys in the in the group, their only thought was to escape, just to get out of there, run right. for their lives. Right. So they threw everything, you know, coats, hats, guns. They they threw everything. They didn't keep the, even their guns. They just started running. Now, this doesn't seem to be very smart to me. Yeah, I mean, these, some of these guys are military people. Why you throw know? your weapon away as your only mode of protection? Yeah, and, you know, anything that hindered their running, they threw it away. So, and they're... That'd be like me. That'd be like me jumping up, Doctor History, and throwing my crutches away and trying to run. (laughs) And try to run. (laughs) It just doesn't work. So, but there's only four men that escaped. One got on a horse, and he actually kept. Must have been a pistol because he shot as he sped away, so he got away. Now two others uh, uh, managed to catch a couple of horses, and uh, 
one guy got thrown off, but he had the good sense to kind of stay in a bunch of grease wood and, and brush, and so he hid. And he was, so that, like I said, there was only four guys that actually escaped this. Holy but, smokes. Uh, anyway, the details of the attack were learned later from some of the Indians who, who were there, were part of it. Now, it was also learned that this Gunnison, like I said, when he came out of his tent, he fell because he was, had arrows and bullets in him, but when the Indians came up to him, he raised himself up. He wasn't dead. Uh-oh. And uh, uh, he kind of, you know, put his arms out as if, you know, you know, don't kill me. Uh, and he tried to convince the Indians still that he was their friend. Well, Moshe Coop, uh, he was somewhere else at this time, and he... Had he seen Gunnison, he probably would have spared his life. But there was another Indian there that just immediately took a gun and finished off Captain Gunnison. Mm. So that was the end of him. Uh, but there was a Captain Morris and his party that arrived sometime later, and they found the bodies. And, uh, you know, but these guys, when they saw the bodies and everything that had happened, they got scared, too. Now, this is kind of weird, too. They took off running. Uh, you know, I would interject here that perhaps these were not the finest and highly trained cavalry officers that we had in the Army at that time. Not exactly what you'd call a few good men. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yes. I mean, they were afraid of further attack, so they took off, and they did the same thing. They threw off their coats, their guns, their ammunition. And again, they're not being fired upon? No, no, they just have come upon the the remnants of the massacre or the battle and scared to death, thinking the Indians are still around. So these guys just take off running. Now, you gotta you got to ponder this for a minute. Why yeah. would they ride into a scene of a former battle and then all of a sudden start stripping off their clothes and throwing their guns down when they're not under attack? You know, that has baffled me on this story of... You know, because, I mean, you always hear of stories where, you know, you hunker down behind your horse or a rock or something. and I mean, on previous programs, you have had one naked mountain man scare (laughs) 25 Indians into running away. But now you're telling me that the cavalry ran away and stripped their clothes off when they weren't even being fired upon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, makes you wonder, you know, who was their leader and was their leader out in front going as fast as he could go? I'm I mean, scratching my head right now. Yeah, I, I did too when I read this. I thought, who was the leader and uh, and what was he doing during all this? So, but anyway, about ten days after this uh, tragedy, uh, a group was sent down to the area to recover. Uh, there was notes and instruments and to help dispose of the the remains of the dead. And by this time, the wolves had come in and kind of mutilated some of the bodies and. But they were able to identify Captain Gunnison, and his remains were taken to Fillmore, Utah, and, and he was buried there. Um, the others, they just kind of basically kind of gathered him up and and uh, buried him probably in kind of a mass grave right there. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, this Moshe Coop, he told the story of the massacre and uh, later, because he actually came into the authorities and tried to... You know, tell his side of the story about his dad being killed by the at the hands of these Missourians, and uh, really nothing was done to the Indians. Uh, so, as far as any kind of uh, putting them on trial or anything like that. So, well, now, but, 
how big a force, uh, I don't know if you said this or not, but how big a force did uh, Gunnison have, that, except for four that were wiped out? You know, it never really tells me. It tells that he had uh, some uh, uh, scientists and some people with him that way that were helping him to with the uh, surveying, mm-hmm. and then they had a military escort. Yeah, okay. And, uh, but it doesn't tell me uh, really how many... Uh, he had. Now, I got a question for you because when you go down uh, the interstate towards St. George, uh-huh. and uh, all of a sudden you want to take the cutoff to go over towards, uh, oh my goodness, I forgot the name of the town. It's right on the border of Arizona and uh, Utah. I'll think of it here in a minute. But uh, there's uh, you go on Highway 20, and when you start to go over the mountain range, the Uintas, off to your left is an old. Uh, 1800s type army barracks that they have historically preserved. Is that anywhere near where this happened? You know, I, I think if, you, if what you're telling me is right, I think you're farther south than what I'm thinking. Oh, okay. Because uh, okay. Fillmore is more up in the middle, isn't it? Yeah, but, uh, you know, distance in the old days was relevant. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I know there's another fort down there just north of Cedar City called Cove Fort mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that actually never really had any uh, military activity as far as uh, shooting and attacks and one thing or another. But so, uh, you know, like I said, this, uh, where this took place was around Fillmore and that area. Okay. So, but I'm uh, still questioning, and, and I'm f- it's funny the way history recorded this story. I mean, why would you, if you were a part of the cavalry that had ridden in after the battle had taken place, who wrote up the report or the historical uh, documents saying that these guys turned into stark raving lunatics and cowards and started stripping their clothes and throwing their guns down? Why? Well, and and this was a military group. Uh, It was led by a guy named Captain Morris. He was a captain temporarily. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like I say, it makes me wonder what kind of leadership this this was. I mean, was he standing there all alone while everybody took off, or was he leading the group heading out of there? Yeah, I'm still, I know it's maybe a minor point to some, but think about it, the magnitude of the stupidity right here. Yeah, you know, you again, common sense would think, okay, let's uh, let's get off our horses, let's uh, make a circle here, let's let's do something, get behind a rock, let's you know, and see what's going on here. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just kind of baffles me on this one. Boy, that is a confusing mystery as to why all of a sudden fear would set in to these people, and they would start throwing their coats and their guns down and run away. And not, why not run away fully clothed? Is my attitude. <laughs> Well, and with your guns. Yeah, for heaven's sake. Well, why are you going to throw your guns away and your ammunition? Uh, you know, anything you <laughs> had to defend yourself if you ran across them five miles up the road. Doctor, you must peruse further into the jaws of history and find out the answer. <laughs> oh, boy. You don't know what you're asking. I know I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, some of these stories, like I say, they kind of interesting and, and uh, not quite understanding, you know, what the thinking was. And We've got a caller, and maybe they've got the answer as to why these guys went nuts all of a sudden. Good morning, you're on the air. Well, it's because they're in the service. Uh, <laughs> you're, you want to know where Fillmore is? Okay, you go from Nephi down I-15 down to uh, towards the meadow, 
and Fillmore is oh. right above Meadow and Holden. Oh, I know where Fillmore is. I've stayed there many times, as a matter of fact, at the motels that are in Fillmore. There wasn't a question as to where Fillmore is. We were asking about uh, down the road further and then off of the interstate going east, there's a small army barracks that was from the 1800s, and I just wanted to find out if that was the same one in, uh, in uh, geography close to Fillmore. Now, it talks about Pavant Valley, and it also talks a place called Meadow Creek. Okay. And those, I don't, I don't know where those yeah, are. Meadow at. Creek just below Fillmore. Yeah. Meadow. Yeah. Meadow yeah. Creek is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But my, my okay. question is, which, okay, Al, uh, a great uh, encyclopedia of knowledge there, what army barracks is that off on Highway 20 as you go over the mountains? Is he still there? Oh, Al, don't hang up when I had a question. But uh, it's preserved fairly well. Off, You know where I'm talking about, don't you? I have an idea, yeah. I yeah. just didn't realize there was something there. Yeah, there's still the old army barracks, the old uh, wooden kind of, uh, what did they call the old wooden buildings back in then? Kind of the uh, very rough-cut lumber, you know, that type of thing. It's yeah. still there, and I was now, curious if that was the... Okay, it's not Fort Pierce. I'm not sure. There, there's a Fort Pierce off to the east and south of St. George. No, no, no. This is uh, okay. this is quite a substantial amount away from St. George and Cedar City, but okay. uh, that's why I'm saying this story is very intriguing because of uh, well, what happened to this Indian by the name of uh, Moshekuk? Moshekuk. Yeah. See, I got it memorized. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, again, I hadn't even heard of this particular tribe. I'm, in fact, I now that I'm kind of curious, I'm going to look that up and see if I can figure out. They had to be a branch, I'm thinking, of the Paiutes, is what I'm thinking. Well, I understand what Moshekuk lo- uh, means in the dictionary. I just looked it up in the Pavant Dictionary, the Indian Tribe Dictionary, and Moshekuk says right here, the meaning is, scares soldiers out of their clothes. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to talk about next week? <laughs> well, actually, I've got a story about um, that I'm thinking about uh, these uh, river boats. Oh, that, uh, yeah, that went up and down the rivers, and they actually used to have races. And uh, anyway, um, there's one that came from the East Coast, went clear around and up into. Uh, California, and I think I may talk about that next week. Dr. History, you're just great, and thank you. And please do a little bit more research on why soldiers peeled their clothes and ran, okay? <laughs> I'll do it. Okay, thanks. You have a good day. Jeff. God bless you, man. Thanks. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.